0: All right, well, let's uh, get into God's Word, and we will be in Luke chapter 23. We're going to look at the first 25 uh, verses, and I'm going to start with this. There's really no way, listen now, there's really no way to not respond to Jesus. There's no neutrality, if I could put it that way, there's no neutrality when it comes to him. You are either, and I I get how some people think they can ride the fence, but you're either for Jesus or you're against him. I get how people might even be coming to church saying, I'm just investigating this. I'm not really there yet, but I, I just want you to know there's no fence that you can sit on. If you are not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, then you are at this point, I don't mean to be harsh about this at all, but you are at this point against Jesus. You're either for or against him. You are either in his kingdom or you are on the outside of it. You are saved or you are unsaved. You are, to use the metaphor in the scripture, you are either sheep or goat. So many different ways that the Bible describes this, but it's always just one of two ways that you can live your life. And in Luke chapter 23, these first 25 verses, there's a bunch of people that we're going to see who are compelled to to respond to Jesus one way or another. They're, they're, They're compelled to respond to the circumstances around them, specifically this trial of Jesus that's happening. And these responses, these reactions to Jesus parallel the kind of responses that we see around us today. Nothing's really changed. And it may be, in fact, that in this room there are people who do not yet have a commitment to Jesus Christ, have a relationship with him, who are reacting to Jesus, responding to him in one of these ways. And so let's consider why you might be rejecting Jesus, because we're going to look at five ways that people reject Jesus. We're going to, why you might be rejecting Jesus with a mind to changing that so that you're not rejecting him. Luke 23, let's, let me, let me read these verses and then we'll get into it. Then the whole company of them arose and brought him, speaking of Jesus, before Pilate, But he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. And Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in a splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. For before this, they had been at enmity with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people and said to them, You brought me this man... "...as one who is misleading the people, and after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they cried out together, they all cried out together, away with this man and and release to us Barabbas, a man who has been thrown into prison for an insurrection, started in the city and for murder." They decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. Let's look at why you might be rejecting Jesus this morning. We have uh, five of these. First, you might be rejecting Jesus because you have been chased away by fear. You have been chased away by fear Um, And this is really uh, something that describes the disciples. Now, I don't have a verse for you in this, this particular passage because really the point of this is that the disciples are nowhere to be found. The disciples have scattered at this point. They're not in this passage as Jesus is tried in front of Pilate and in front of Herod. You remember back to chapter 22, which we spent five weeks looking at. You'll remember that they were in the upper room and they shared in that last supper. And then they went to the garden and there was prayer happening in the garden. They were having trouble staying awake, but Jesus was praying. And then this crowd came and arrested him. And at his arrest, they all scattered, except for Peter, who we're told, followed at a distance as Jesus was taken away to the home of the high priest. But even then, after denying him three times, you look in verse 62 and it says that even Peter went out and wept bitterly. Fear has chased them all away. And fear chases many people away from Jesus. In fact, there are some people in this room who are content to come and be a part of this church family for whatever reason. You find it comfortable, you like the teaching, you enjoy the worship, whatever it is. But you're afraid to actually give your life to Jesus. It's pretty common, actually. What are you afraid of? I mean, for a lot of people, they're afraid of what their family is going to think. That, that can be legitimate, by the way, because some families, families will actually cast you out, will shun you, will tell you you don't belong anymore. Many families will ridicule you for your faith and wonder what happened to their loved one. So this is a legit concern. This could could very much happen to anyone in this room. I'm not sure it's something we should be afraid of, though. Some of you are afraid of what your friends will say and and fear that you'll lose those friendships. I can't deny that that might happen. Some are afraid of the pressure this will put on you in your workplace. Or in your school classroom. Many of you are afraid of the personal cost. Of following Jesus. Because you've watched it enough to know. That the lives of those who follow Christ. Are actually radically different. And you're not sure you're up for it. And you know it isn't wrong to consider that cost. Jesus in fact. Encouraged us. To count the cost of following him now, I want you to turn back to chapter 14, just a few pages back. Luke chapter 14. <clears throat> and he deals with this head-on in this chapter, beginning of verse 26, Luke 14:26. Listen to this. If anyone comes to me, Jesus said, if anyone comes to me, if anyone is showing interest in following, if anyone is interested in the teaching, if anyone has really been captured by the miracles that they've seen, whatever it is, if anyone comes to me interested in following and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. Now how many people are just like, that is, just raise your hand if you said that's super harsh. How many people, raise your hand. How many of you are thinking that it's super harsh but you don't want to raise your hand? <laughs> this is hard. I mean, what's, what's he actually saying here? Well, well, first of all, he is saying at face value, your family cannot take precedence over Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is at the center or Jesus Christ is at the top of the list. Jesus first. Everyone else comes after that. For sure, this passage is saying that. But secondly, it's this, and, and obviously this is not about, Jesus isn't telling you you actually have to hate these people that you're actually supposed to love. And other parts of the scripture tell us we're supposed to love these people. Hate's such a hard word. And how many homes here would just have to, you know a ban even on using that word? You can't use that word in this house. You do not hate your sister. I know you think you hate her. We don't use that word in this house. Any houses like that? Okay, we're not hating and Jesus isn't saying that, but what he, what he is saying is that in contrast to the love commitment that you're to have to Jesus, it's as if you hate your family. That's, that's the gap between loving Jesus and wanting to do anything and everything for him and, and the love that you would have for your family. It's as if you hate them. And he goes on to say, verse 27, so this is, this is, this is tough. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The whole bearing of the cross thing, we've talked about this a few times in Luke's gospel. To them, this is a method of execution. They don't yet have the religious icon symbolism thing in their minds the way we do. They don't know about Good Friday yet. And, And so to them, they're hearing we have to die. We have to die. Later, the Apostle Paul would explain all of this to us in a way we would completely understand. Galatians 2.20, that that I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Romans chapter 6, verse 6, the old self is crucified with him. Verse 11 of that same chapter, that we are dead to sin and alive to God. We get it, that as the followers of Jesus Christ, we are crucified with him. The old self is gone, dead and buried. And we get new life. In him, whoever does not bear his own cross isn't willing to die to self and come after me, really follow me. Unless you're willing to do this, unless you're willing to, in contrast to loving Jesus, hate your family and sacrifice your own life. You cannot be my disciple. You can't. And then in verse 28, it just says it. Count the cost. Before you sign on to this, Before you declare your allegiance, count the cost. And and some fear this. But I'm going to tell you, the fear is not insurmountable because many people have overcome this fear to actually follow Jesus. And aside from Judas, we're talking about the disciples here who were chased away from fear, aside from Judas who would take his own life, these same disciples who scattered from fear, who were nowhere to be found, Every one of them would come back. Every one of them would see the resurrected Christ. Every one of them would be there on the day of Pentecost to to receive the, the filling and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit on that day. Every one of them would go off into the mission to fulfill the exact thing Jesus had for them to do, to go into the world and to make disciples. And according to history, tradition of all the apostles who went off into that mission, all but the apostle John would give their life as a martyr for this faith that they believed in. Clearly, they overcame their fear. They got to the place where they could say, this is Psalm 118, verse six. They could say, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What could man do to me? What can man do to me? I don't need to, to fear what people in my workplace think. I don't, I don't need to fear what my family thinks. I don't, I don't need to fear what my classmates think or what my friends or my neighbors think. I don't need to fear what anyone thinks about this because I've given my heart to Jesus Christ and the Lord is on my side and I'm not going to fear any of that. But I know some here are rejecting him on that basis. It's time to cast that fear aside and give your life to Christ. Here's a second. You might be rejecting Jesus because you've caved into the pressure. This is uh, Pontius Pilate. He, he caves into the pressure from the religious leaders. Look at verse 3. A Pilate asked him, Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And, and then quickly, I don't know if there was more to it than what we have recruited, recruited, uh, recorded here by Luke, but he quickly concludes, verse 4, I find no guilt in this man. Not guilty. And despite the protestations of the religious leaders and the crowd, he, he sends him off to King Herod, who he finds out is in town, to see what he thought. And essentially, the same conclusion is reached. Verse 13, Pilate then called the chief priests and the rulers and the people. Verse 14, after examining him, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Verse 15, neither did Herod. Then he says it, nothing deserving death has been done by him. And he announces his sentence, verse 16, therefore, even though he is innocent of all charges, I don't even get this part, I will punish and release him. So he's still going to get punished. But he is going to get released. But now the religious leaders are beside themselves at this sentence. The verdict doesn't please them at all, and they insist on Jesus being condemned and crucified. Verse 20, Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, and they cried out for his crucifixion all the more. Verse 22, a third time Pilate said to them, what evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. And then he reiterates for the second time, I'm going to punish him and release him. And they simply refused to give in to Pilate. Verse 24. So after all the pressure, Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. Now what's going on here? I mean, Pontius Pilate's the most powerful man in Israel. He is the governor representing the throne of Rome. He has the legions at his at his command, and he can call them in at any time to crush any opposition. So why is Pilate caving in? Well, see, this is simple politics. That's all it is. This is politics. Pilate's weighing out the benefits of releasing Jesus, which he believes he should do from a conscience standpoint. This man's not guilty of anything. I'll punish him a bit. I'll send him off onto his way. I really feel like that's what I ought to be doing. That's the good, righteous, and just thing to do. We can commend Pilate for wanting to do that. But on the other side, he's in charge of an entire territory under the rule of the Roman government, and he has to keep peace in that territory. He wants to keep the religious leaders happy, who the crowds are listening to at this point. And ensure there's peace in the city. You see, for occupying armies and empires, we have it in our mind that the Romans were just so ruthless and always warmongering. And the reality is they fought wars to secure borders and to create trade and prosperity in their empire. It wasn't just power for the sake of power. They were trying to bring prosperity to their people. And so what they wanted was not warfare. What they really wanted was peace because with with peace comes prosperity. They wanted the economy to thrive. They're not unlike most governments. They wanted the economy to thrive. And so they wanted the status quo. They wanted the people calm. They wanted peace in the streets of the city. That's a primary goal that they would have. And so as Pilate weighs it all out, these religious leaders with great influence and the crowds kind of whipped up into a frenzy versus this one preacher man who's got them all upset. And he determines that sacrificing his life, just this one man's life, would be well worth it. I mean, after all, he doesn't want word getting back to Rome and to the emperor that he doesn't have control over Israel. And so Pilate caved into the pressure, simple politics. And similar to what we said about fear, some walk away from Jesus because of the pressure they feel from others. Or, or even they walk away from Jesus because of an internal pressure that they feel inside of themselves. And I love that so many people come here and they're exploring uh, the faith and they're trying to understand who Jesus is. But the reality is some people will tell lies to themselves similar to the lies that were told about Jesus that got him condemned. Come in here if you're new to all of this. And you're taking it all in and you can make an assumption that all of these people are so far ahead of you spiritually. They sing the songs, their Bible is all marked up. They've been doing this for 30 years. They know the scriptures, they know the language, they know the lingo, they know the play. They've erased many of the struggles that other people have over sin issues and they've got victory over these things. And when you're coming in brand new, it would be easy to put pressure on yourself and to say... I don't think I could ever measure up. I don't think I could ever measure up. I could never get to that place where I was like that person. And so you put, this isn't necessarily a pressure that's coming from anyone here because I think we work really hard to say everybody's just on a different spot in the journey, but let's all just go on the journey together. But we can put an internal pressure on ourselves to say, I need to conform right away. I need to become just like the person who's been walking with Jesus for 20 or 30 years. And that kind of pressure that we put on ourselves could lead us just to walk away from it all and just go, I, just, I could never get there. So why bother? Instead, what the Lord would have us do is simply, if I could just put it this way, to get close to him. And don't forget about measuring yourself against anybody else in this room. That's never, ever, ever going to be helpful. But just get to know Jesus. Just read his word. Read the gospels. Read about his life. Read what the letters of Paul say about him. Just get close to Jesus in worship, in prayer, and in your studies of the word. And begin your journey and don't let any pressure come upon you. Don't, don't reject him because you feel pressure from others or pressure from yourself to be something that at this point, you're not. Just go on a journey with the Lord. Ready for another one? Perfect. I have a couple more. Don't reject Jesus because you're consumed with self. This is King Herod. Consumed with self. Now, these five ways to reject Jesus are not in any particular order. And you can see already that we're not going verse by verse through the passage. We're going to look at all the verses, but we're not like, going precisely through it in order. And, um, but if I was to sort these in an order and say the order was the number one thing plaguing people today... I think this would be number one, don't you think? Consume. People are just consumed with self. People are so consumed with themselves. People are like, I'm so consumed with myself. I'm so preoccupied with my own life. I just can't even fathom what it would look like to follow Jesus. In verses 6 and 7, we're back in, in chapter 23. I hope you all realize that already. That was a little while ago. We were in chapter 14. But Pilate said... Sent, to Jesus, sent Jesus to Herod because he found out there was a Galilean connection. Herod had jurisdiction over Galilee. And Pilate's hoping to pass the buck here. Pilate's hoping that Herod's going to solve his problem with the Jewish leaders. Now for his part, verse 8, Herod was very glad that Jesus was going to come and see him because he, he always wanted to see him and he had heard about him. And he was hoping to see some sign done by him. Okay, like it's, he, he's, he's hoping that he's going to come in and entertain him. He, he's hoping that he's going to become a, 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 a court jester. That's what he wants him to be. Just come on in and entertain me. Herod's not spiritually seeking here. These aren't questions like, man, I really need to hear what he's saying because I've been having this stirring up in my heart. Herod wants to be entertained and Jesus wasn't going to play his game. Verse 9, Herod questioned him at some length, but Jesus made no answer. I'm not your court jester, Jesus said. I'm not your plaything. So Herod decided to have fun with him anyway. Verse 11, he and his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then they uh, decided to play dress up with him. And they raid him in, in splendid clothing, the text says. In other words, they brought out some royal robes and they put them on him. And they decide that they're just going to have some fun with him. They're going to kind of make fun of him. All for entertainment purposes. And then verse 12. I was, I'm so glad to read this. I'm really happy for Herod and Pilate. Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that day. I mean, before this, they weren't friends at all. But they became friends. You know, got together to play Fortnite together now. Herod, Herod's the consummate carpe diem guy. Eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. He's living it up while he can. And he has the power, the influence, and the financial resources to do that. And he's so consumed with himself. And we have so much King Herod in us. There's so much King Herod in us. We have really become so very consumed with ourselves. We, we we boast about ourselves on social media. Let's be honest; most of our social media posts are about us. Sometimes we make them sound like they're about other people, but they're really about us. Look how awesome my friend is. I'm so awesome. They're my friend. Look at this awesome person that I'm with. Look at this awesome pose that I am striking. I am awesome. We pursue what amuses us. We, we spend vast amounts of our income on pleasure. Go back and look at your budget. See how much of it just goes into entertainment and, and keeping yourself amused. So few people really give any time to serve others or to help them marginalize. Look at the budget of your week. Take the hours of your week and look at it. How much of that is spent just on making your life happier for you versus alleviating the suffering of others? The ratio of what we spend on ourselves versus what we give charitably is so disproportionate. The warning to us, the King Herod's in the crowd is this. This comes from D.L. Moody. God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. See, if you're rejecting Jesus because you're just so full of yourself, be sure he will reject you. But if you can empty yourself of self, God will fill you. Jesus will come to you. The Holy Spirit will empower and bless you in ways that you can't even imagine. Way beyond anything Herod could ever experience. But you cannot follow Jesus and be about your own comfort, your own pleasure. You cannot follow Jesus and be consumed with yourself. It is a biblical impossibility. Next, some reject Jesus because they're caught up in the moment. This is the crowd or the people that we see in this passage. And and by the moment, they're caught up in the moment. By the moment, what I mean is the prevailing culture of the day, the attitudes and beliefs of that time. Because the crowd that adored him just a few chapters back in chapter 19, this Sunday, by the way, is on the church calendar. This Sunday is it's Palm Sunday, which we do a lousy job of ever remembering here because we're not really into the church calendar. But it's Palm Sunday. And if you go back to chapter 19 of Luke, that was Palm Sunday. It was the triumphal entry. And, and, and you have him entering into the city, and the people are lauding him in chapter 19. Blessed is the king, they said. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They think their king is entering the city of Jerusalem. A few days later, verse one, the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. So much for being your king. They began to accuse him, verse two, saying, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar. Lie. And saying that he himself is Christ, a king. True. So they had lauded him as the king. Now they're condemning him as a criminal. The winds had shifted. The culture had changed. Society had moved on and the crowd was now against him. You know, the winds of a change in our own culture have shifted so dramatically over the last few years and it is driving people. It's driving people away from Jesus. It's driving them to reject him. I mean, it's hard to imagine. I think we would all agree that Canada is barely recognizable from what it was 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. It's a very different place. It's hard to imagine where we find ourselves. Many who consider themselves to be Christians, and this is my only concern here, by the way, I'm not going to say anything that is different than anything I've said in previous teaching over the last several years. It may be controversial to some who are here more recently or new even this morning. I only want to to address Christians. I'm I'm not concerned with addressing the culture around us. At all. Many who consider themselves to be Christians are now evaluating, reevaluating 2,000 years of biblical teaching. They're so caught up in the culture now, they're rethinking things that, that the church has always believed and always taught. They're, they're caught up in certain cultural issues and controversies that are happening around us in the culture today. Do you want me to give an example of one? Shall I go to the granddaddy of them all? The most controversial at all for us would be same-sex attraction, same-sex relationship, same-sex marriage. Now, you know, we have a gracious approach to this and we want people to come in and ask their questions and we want to change the tonality of that discussion. And if you're here and, and you um, are same-sex attracted, we want you to be here and we want you to explore who Jesus is and learn from him. We, we, we want that. You're welcome here. Whatever you have going on in your life, is, is, it might be just a, a different label on it than what other people are dealing with here, but everybody's dealing with something. Amen? Everybody's dealing with something. And, and so we want that to be true. But we haven't abandoned what the Bible has taught for all these years as a church. And there are so many people, Christians, Christians in churches now that are getting caught up in the moment on, on, on these kinds of issues. And what I want to say about this is if the government, if the government legalizes and has legalized, if the government wants to allow gay marriage, what is that to me? It's really nothing. If the government of the day wants to allow same-sex relationships, same-sex marriage, what is that to us in the church? We we as a church are are apolitical. That is to say, there is no political party today that represents a truly biblical position. None. None even close. So why do we pretend like there are and champion one party over another thinking that they do? It's not true. We need to be apolitical. Because our citizenship is not of this world. If you are a true follower of Jesus Christ, you are not a citizen of this country. You are not a citizen of this world. You are a citizen of another kingdom that is yet to come. We await that day. And in the meantime, we live as aliens in this foreign land because we know we don't belong to this culture. We don't belong to this society. Our authority in our kingdom is from heaven we're not trying to build a theocratic state here we're not trying to bring the laws of god to bear on ottawa or queens park we simply do not expect the governments of this world to uphold biblical morality we don't but ready for this part? my only concern is christians and the church But when Christians professing followers of Jesus Christ and Bible-believing, Bible-teaching churches begin to go after the culture and rethink the things that the Scriptures have always taught, despite what they may say about themselves, that is a rejection of Jesus Christ. If you're eager to go along with the crowd you won't be a follower of Jesus. It's as simple as that. The government of the day may allow immorality of all kinds, but the church and the Christians who belong to the church do not need to conform, endorse, or participate in the culture. That is the choice we make. That is the cost that we count as the disciples of Christ And it may cost us. It should cost us. And it should be no surprise to anyone. That felt a little heavy to me. Does that feel heavy to you? It should. Here's the last one. One more and then then we'll talk about receiving him rather than rejecting him. You might be rejecting Jesus finally by by being caustic toward the faith. Caustic toward the faith. And this is represented by the chief priests. Now, I don't expect that there's probably people here that are caustic toward the faith. That's unlikely. People of this sort wouldn't even darken the door, wouldn't bother to come in unless they were looking to stir up trouble. Well, look at uh, several verses here that just describe these chief priests, the rulers. Verse 5, they were urgent, saying he stirs up the people, teaching through all Judea and Galilee, even to this place. When he was in front of Herod, the chief priest and the scribes, this is verse 10, stood by vehemently accusing him. Verse 18, they all cried out together, away with this man, release to us Barabbas. Then it tells us why that's particularly heinous, because you know Barabbas was a man who had been thrown in prison for an insurrection, started in the city, and for murder. Yet they think that that's a better option than releasing Jesus. Verse 21, they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. Verse 23, they were urgent. They were demanding. There was loud cries that he should be crucified. And ultimately, with their insistence, their voices prevailed. They were emotionally charged. They were were single-mindedly obsessed with getting their way. And there will always be people around us who are Far from being passive about our faith or accepting of it, it's not for me, but you can have it. There will always be people who are angry and oppositional toward God and especially toward Jesus Christ. And there is in our culture today, I don't need to tell um, you, because many of you face this. You might have someone in your family who is caustic toward your faith. You might have somebody in your workplace who makes that very difficult for you. But this is what we're facing, a rising, militant atheism that isn't content to just believe there's no God and argue that point, but they have to actually argue and be caustic toward believers. Richard Dawkins, maybe the most famous of them today, because he writes at a very popular level and he he tries to target just people who are reading regular books. This isn't like high academia. Did Jesus exist? Of course. Lots of men called Jesus dead, But who cares? since none of them was born to a virgin or rose from the dead. Just caustic, just angry. Christopher Hitchens, who, um, by the way, died in the last two years, and so he's met Jesus now. Imagine meeting Jesus having said this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him will believe in anything. Hitchens 316. It's so caustic. It's so, it's so vindictive and, and angry. And again, you may have such people in your own sphere of influence. And, and maybe someone here is like this, but I doubt that such a person would be here. People who are that anti-Jesus just won't come. But we have to remember that while these people exist, we cannot return tone for tone. We cannot As they would attack the person. We cannot attack the person. But stick to the arguments. We have to be gracious in our speech. And have a gentle tone with such people. I want you to remember. That often with people who are this angry. Are often victims themselves. That something has deeply. Deeply hurt them. Along the way. And they're. Anger is rooted in personal pain. Maybe they've been abused or hurt by a church, a pastor or a priest, and they just can't see Jesus through their pain. And the Lord told us earlier in Luke's gospel, even though I wouldn't suggest we see them this way, they would see themselves this way. And Jesus told us, love your enemies. Because the only thing that's going to break through this kind of caustic, Argument and rejection of Jesus, the only thing that's going to get through it is that you and I would show them love, the love of Christ. So those are the ways people reject Jesus, I, and I get why people reject Jesus, but let me suggest now, from this passage, why you should receive him instead. And here's the reason: Jesus was unjustly accused and condemned so that you could be undeservedly forgiven and freed. The example here is Barabbas. We're not really sure whether Barabbas knows anything about what's going on outside his prison cell. This this trial is going on. Jesus is going back and forth from Pilate to Herod. We're not sure what's going on, if he's aware of any of it. But we do know uh, that he had been thrown into prison for an insurrection and murder. Twice it actually tells us that, so we don't actually miss the fact that this is a very bad man. A bad man that deserves, unlike Jesus, deserves to die for his crimes. Now there was this tradition, and in the English Standard Version, the version that we use here, verse 17 is down in the footnotes, because it, was, it wasn't in the earliest manuscripts, it was only later on, so they, translators decided that it was probably an insert. But it, it does explain what's going on here, because there was a tradition for one prisoner to be released during the Passover, Presumably not someone as notorious as Barabbas. And yet he was released. And Pilate, verse 25, uh, finishes up by saying, deliver Jesus over to their will. Barabbas was undeservedly forgiven and freed. And Jesus was unjustly accused and condemned. And Barabbas did nothing to receive it. He didn't argue his case. There was no defense of what he had done. A soldier merely came over to his prison cell and opened the door. Barabbas didn't do anything. The parallel is obvious. Instead of rejecting Jesus, we're to receive the free gift of salvation that he offers. He's he's swinging over, open the prison doors for anyone who has not yet found forgiveness of their sins. You don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to make up for your crimes. You don't have to do any kind of a sentence at all. You are condemned and guilty and Jesus has just declared you to be free. All of your sin erased. The condemnation of death that you're under expunged from your record. You can walk free of the prison you're in simply because Jesus, an innocent man, took your place. Receive Him. Let me just finish this up with a, a poem that I I first saw forty almost forty years ago when I was a new believer. It's uh, called "A Man Went Free." Ruth Center is the poet. Listen up now. A man went free the day you died. Barabbas. Hero. Macho man. The people's choice. They cut his chains and buried his past in his empty prison cell. Murder. Insurrection. It didn't matter. But they nailed you down. Strapped you with the weight of the cross. While he walked away clean. They restored his dignity to him, free man, pardoned, no more labels. But they stripped you, gave you thorns for your crown, a weed for your scepter, and a line in the obituary column that read, Jesus, King of the Jews. They shouted his name through the street, blazed it in neon lights and put a marquee around it. While they drove you to the place of the skull, gave you vinegar to drink, and threw dice for your clothing. When darkness came, you bowed your head and died alone. While he celebrated in the streets with the Passover crowd. A man went free the day you died. I was that man. Let's pray. Father, my greatest concern as we conclude looking at this message together, this passage, is for those in the room who do not yet know Christ. And for all the reasons we've already talked about, they might like this place, they might like the inquiry, the people, the music the teaching, whatever it is. But Father, they have not yet been saved. And Father, I pray that in this moment, your Holy Spirit would be stirring in them to reject the very rejections that are keeping them from Christ. And that instead they would receive him. It takes nothing more than that just to to walk out of the cell that every one of us find ourselves in to find forgiveness for all of our sin so father i pray for those in the room who don't yet have that that in this very moment god they would be seeking you father i know i'm a sinner I know I need Jesus and I know I can't do anything to get him. Thank you for the freedom I have in you for the forgiveness of my sins and for the hope of eternity. God, I pray that many in this room will be praying that and taking their first step of faith with Jesus Christ. And for the rest of us, Father, I know that even though we've walked free of the prison cell and our salvation is secure, it's easy for us to fall back into old ways and to allow our personal desires to dictate things. It's, it's easy to reject you in small ways. I feel like I do that every day. And so, Father, for those of us that are already believers, God, we... We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for your grace and mercy toward us. And Father, give us your Holy Spirit to help us make better decisions tomorrow. Father, you're a great God. You love us. It's pretty evident. And I pray, Father, that we would be renewing our commitment right now to receive you in every way possible. I pray in Christ's name.